Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what brave feminine leadership means and does it need to change? All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates. Melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Welcome to our interview series on brave feminine leadership. Today, I bring a wonderful brave leader, Gabrielle Dolan. Lovely to have you here with me. Thanks, Melissa. It's good to be here. Gabrielle, I'm going to jump straight in to a little bit of a bio for you, and then we'll jump into our conversation. So for our audience, Gabrielle Dolan is a global expert in business storytelling and real communication. She's an incredible keynote speaker and a best-selling author of seven books. Her client list is extensive, including the likes of Amazon, EY, Telstra and the Obama Foundation. And the professional highlight of her career so far is meeting Barack Obama. And I can't wait to ask about that. Gabrielle is the founder of Jargon Free Fridays and was awarded Communicator of the Year for 2020 by the International Association of Business Communicators. Congratulations and welcome. Oh, wow, that sounds like I've been busy, doesn't it? <laughs> it does sound like you've been busy. So I'm going to take you uh, or ask you to take us right back as a starting point. And for people in our audience who haven't had the pleasure of coming across you before, um, tell us about yourself. Why are you who you are, Gabrielle? Oh God, that's a that's a good question. Where do we start? Well, I might. Um, so I uh, I won't go right back. I won't go right back. But um, I'm one of eight children, and I grew up in Melbourne, Australia, and still live still live and work in Melbourne, Australia. Um, currently, I was going to say currently married with two kids. It just sounds like I'm happily happily should say happily married with two two teenage daughters, seven almost about to turn eighteen and twenty one. So that's Whew, when did when and how did that happen? But that's all good. Um, I I uh, I I was a good student up until about year twelve or year ten rather, and then I sort of I don't know what happened. I really don't even know what happened. Like you know when people go, oh, you discovered boys and that. I was like, no, I didn't. I, I think I just discovered humour, and I just <laughs> thought it was I thought it was more interesting trying to make my friends laugh in class than actually doing any schoolwork. So I, I didn't go well in my final year of school. In fact, I failed English by one mark. And so the fact that I've published, I don't know, six, seven books is quite hilarious. I think that, um, and, you know, just amazing what you can do with good editors. Are around you still you. in touch, still in touch with your English teachers? From no, I, I think, um, I think she might have died because she seemed really old, really old. Um, you know, Mrs. Bennett's, if you're out there, um, she seemed really old. Like she seemed about 60 or 70 when I went to school. But you know when your teachers seem really old and then you realise later they're only about 32? Yes. <laughs> So anyway, she she might not be she might not be with us. She she'll be if she's not, she's laughing in her grave somewhere. Yeah. Um, and so I actually wanted to be a graphic designer. That's what I wanted to be. You know, no real burning desire, but I think I was sort of good at graphics um, and you know drawing and brand logos and that. So I thought oh, I'll do that. And I didn't actually get it. <laughs> Surprisingly, didn't get good enough marks to get into the graphic design course. So I literally just went and got a job. Like 
just I thought, well, I didn't get into that course I wanted to do, so I'll go get a job. And um, what I had studied in my final year of school was computer science. So this was back in 1984 when computers were relatively new. Um, and I saw a couple of jobs as trainee computer operators, not even knowing what they were, but because I'd studied computer science, I applied for them and I got them. So I started my career in technology. Um, I worked for National Australia Bank for 17 years and um, I just sort of progressed through the ranks. And then, you know, about 17 years ago, I left, I left the corporate world and started teaching people how to use storytelling to communicate more effectively. So working, working not in corporates, but working with leaders, like you said, from, you know, around the world, teaching them the skill of storytelling. Mm, incredible. So I would like to go back to your time in the corporate space. So 17 years in the corporate mm. space. Yeah. Yeah, yep. well, about about 20 years all up, but, uh, yeah, 17 years with NAB. Okay. And at some point in time you, you had an idea um, or you decided to leave or you left. So what? Tell, tell us about that story. How did that come about? I, it's, I, had, um, I had sort of aimed, you know, I'd, I'd been in technology for quite a while and I, you know, not that I hated technology, but I, I didn't, I wasn't overly excited about it and I wasn't actually overly really good at it either. I, I um, used to get tested, used to get every 12 months to get tested to progress to the next level. And I progressed to the next level every year on time, like hardly anyone else did. And I kept thinking, why, why am I progressing? Because I'm really not that good. Um, I just used to talk my way around things. Like, you know, my colleagues would ask me a question in one of the tests and I go, well, that's a pretty stupid question. Oh, here's my husband just walking into Welcome. a live interview, even though I say many times I'm in a live interview. But that's <laughs> life. That's life. That's, that's working. That's working from home. At, uh, yeah. So um, I sort of just used to go, well, that, that's a silly question. That wouldn't play out because we would do this. We would do this. And anyway, I, I did realise that sometime I need to get out of technology before people really realise I've got no idea what I'm doing. But what I was started to do when I was there is I started to look after the training and development of, of the leaders. So it was almost like this sort of add-on role that someone looked after all the training of, of, your, of the team. And I took that on and I loved that. So I loved, I loved sitting down with people, figuring out what they wanted to do, where they wanted to be, what training they would need. I then progressed into actually working with suppliers to help co-design and co-facilitate leadership development training. Um, so when I, as I progressed uh, at National Australia Bank and got into, you know, senior leadership roles, so being in senior leadership roles, I sort of experienced firsthand the, you know, the frustrations, the challenges of leading and communicating. Um, and my last couple of roles were in some pretty senior change management roles. So leading, you know, the implementation of SAP across National Australia Bank. Um, and it was there that I sort of discovered this concept of storytelling, thinking, you know, when I, when I use stories, it seems to get the message across. When I see other leaders sharing stories, they, they seem to be really, really good communicators. Um, and it was just, just like when I didn't get into my graphic design course and I went into computing, I was actually applied for a job um, at a job. It's a job I'd sort of had my sights on for many years and I didn't get it. And that's when my um, 
my manager at the time, who I would have been working for, um, I distinctly remember sitting in the office where she said, I'm not going to offer you this job um, for a whole lot of reasons. Um, and then she said, what do you think you'll do? And I said, I think it's time to go. So I just, and, and I still remember her putting her hand over the desk and going, I think it's time for you to go too. And she said, you've been talking about sort of wanting to run your own business and go out on your own. So why don't you do it? And and it's funny, I, I sort of maybe mentioned that a few times, but, but I don't think it was like this big burning, burning desire. But um, I sort of thought, yeah, yeah, I think it, I think it is time to do. So I, I remember getting out of that meeting, ringing, ringing my husband who just walked in the door um, and saying, I think it's time to go. And he said, okay, well, if that's what you want to do, I'm sure knowing you, you've thought about it long and hard. It was like, no, I haven't. I just just thought about it then. But anyway, um, but the good thing, Melissa, is I we were on a project and I, I, I um, volunteered to stay to the end of the project, which was about, you know, four months away. So it gave me a whole heap of time to prepare for leaving corporate world after, you know, the 20 years. Um, and I kept waiting for that day where I woke up and thought, what have you done? Um, and that day never arrived, just never arrived. Okay, that's interesting. So many things in that story. Firstly, a leader who clearly was really listening to what you were saying mm. to have picked that up. Um, that's fairly impressive. Do you remember? Um, do you remember any of the feelings at that moment as you kind of sat there and just went, you know, this is. I think. I think it's time to go. And and she acknowledged that. Yes, I think it is. Like, do you remember how you felt at that point? Look, I remember. I was. I was disappointed. So let's let's not let's not say I was extremely disappointed. I didn't get the job. I uh, this was a job. It was like the. Um, I think it was the head of learning or head of learning for Australia or Asia Pacific in National Australia Bank. So it was a big job. And it was actually a role that five years previously I had said in five years' time I want that job. That's, you know, and I had, um, you know, I went back to uni and did MBAs and stuff. I, I, it was a goal. It was my goal job in five years. And so I was extremely disappointed. I I sort of knew by the time that meeting came around, you, you know, just because they always tell the people that have got the job first. Yeah. <laughs> and you, so, so I'd sort of thought, mm, this is this is not looking good. So I... I walked into the meeting knowing, but I was I was really disappointed, and 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 all my colleagues thought I was a shoe in for the job too. So those conversations later were disappointing. So I was disappointed, um, but then I was crystal clear that it was the right time to go. So um, and her encouragement, and and it was it was that's an amazing sense of leadership, isn't it? Where you can see what's right for the person. Because I could have easily been slotted into another job. They could have easily found me another job, another job I'd be happy with. But you look at that leadership and it's almost like if you love someone, let them go. And and she not only let me go, but encouraged me to go. Just pause for a moment and think of all those books that wouldn't have been written. No, no, exactly. <laughs> We'll get there in a minute. Yeah. I want to ask about writing books too. But so before we leave that, um, before we leave the corporate space, uh, you know that I'm looking at um, brave leader, uh, brave leader, I can't even say the word, leadership um, <laughs> through a gender lens. And I just want to ask, it really surprised me in the last series how many of the leaders I spoke to had never asked for a salary increase whilst they were working. Did you? Did you? stand up and say, I, I need you to pay me more at any point in time? Um, 
there was once I did that and um, interestingly, it was the same female leader that suggested I go. Um, And I think I asked for it, but it was almost an invite from her to ask for it. So she had uh, just a couple of years before this incident of me leaving, she had um, brought me onto her leadership team. And it was a promotion to get onto the leadership team. So it was stepping into, you know, the senior senior leadership ranks, I guess. And I just, when she told me my package, I must have had a little look of, hmm, I thought it would be more than that because I actually did think it would be a bit more than that. Um, and she might have sensed that. And so she said to me, are you happy with that? Hmm. And I thought, here's an opening. And I said, I would have really expected it to be more than that. And she said, if I made it $10,000 more, would you be happy with that? And I went, yes, I would be. So, and I think, wow, that was an easy, that was an easy thing to do. So but I'm, I'm going to say here, if she hadn't have put that out to me, I'm not sure if I would have, mm. um, I might've, I still might've, I know, I know really young in my career, I didn't get a, um, a position that I thought I should have got and and I remember sort of making plans to leave that small organization because of that but um you know that was when I was 20 and thought I knew it all so isn't life interesting <laughs> you get 20 and then you think you know it all and then you get 30 and you know now I really know it all and then I don't know then you get reach 40 I think or 50 and realize you know nothing yeah. <laughs> and we're still learning every yeah. day um, okay, so this this sounds like an incredible leader that you were working for at the time. Um, you know, understanding that women are less reticent to ask, and and really sort of throwing that out there. So congratulations to whoever that leader was, and thank you from all of us. I I now Fiona, if you if you're watching, if you're listening, you know who you are, Fiona. Thanks, Fiona. Um, I really want to now turn to starting to do your own thing, and. You know, we talk a lot about, um, a lot of people find that transition really difficult. You know, when you're in a corporate role in a corporate space, if you're selling or doing whatever it is you're doing, you're selling products and services, you're selling someone else, you're, you know, it's a, it's a different space. You stepped out into a space where it's, it's all about you. It's your name on the business. It's, you know, it's, there's no hiding behind anything. It really is you. I'd love to know how that kind of transition took place how you started the business um so I'll I'll leave it there and let you jump in yeah yeah there's a there's a couple of things in there I'd I'd like to share so so literally I um you know I left National Australia Bank and started a business around storytelling with with another woman that I'd gone to uni with um, and we had a bit of a five-year plan. We'll, you know, see if storytelling works. And you've got to remember, like, storytelling is really popular now. Yes. 17 years, 2005 this was, people would just, like, go storytelling in business. What the hell? Like, are you mad? Like, why? So there was zero credibility. Um, part of me thought, you know, that my our two daughters were two and five. So part of me thought, if it doesn't work out, um, I'm home with the kids and I can always go get another corporate job. Like, so to me, there wasn't a lot of risk there. I mean, you know, there's a big financial drop in the income. I mean, I was, my husband was on good money. He worked, he worked um, in the corporate world as well. I was on more money. So it it still was a a decision that we drop, you know, whatever it was, 60% of our, of our joint income. Um, But, you know, we're in a, we're in a, 
okay financial position to take that. So I, I appreciate that's not everyone's reality. Um, but I just thought if it doesn't work out, I'm home with the kids. And, you know, if you look at the business and the money that was made over that five or six years, if you're looking at it from a pure financial perspective, it didn't work out. Yeah. Like I was, I was earning, well, for the first year, I got to the end of the 12 months and I thought we need to pay ourselves something. So I pay, we paid ourselves $500 for the year. So <laughs> that is, that is not, that is not financial, but you know, I knew we were building to something. And even after five years, um, you know, what I was taking from the business as a salary was nowhere near, nowhere near what I was earning in the corporate world and nowhere near what I would have been earning if I was still in the corporate world. So it was, it was a bit slow. It was, it was definitely slow. Um, we, me and my business partner, you know, it was a five-year gig. It was meant to be a five-year gig. It, it, ten, it, it sort of turned out to be about a, eight years we were together. Um, and then it was just a natural, we sort of both wanted slightly different things. So we decided to just go our separate ways. Um, and that, you, you know, there's pros and cons in any relationship and just there was a few things that happened. Like I went my separate ways. I started to explore some different things. I think you've got the freedom of just being you. So, and this can be a good or bad thing where you go, Oh, I might do that. It was like, okay, I'll do it. And it was like, you know, so that can be good or bad for me. It turned out well, it was just like, I just followed my gut and did things. Um, and at the similar time, my husband was getting quite sick of his corporate job and he wanted to leave and it was sort of, but he could, but he couldn't like, you know, even though we were financial, he could have, I guess, but um, we were in a financially good position, but for him to leave the corporate world as well, it would have been okay. That might've been a risk too far. So I remember saying to him, give me 12 months, give me 12 months and, and I will get us into a position financially where you can leave. And, and it was, it was literally in that 12 months, I think I quadrupled sales and and he left his corporate world and a lot of people ask me what happened I don't and I don't and maybe this I think it definitely was a mindset thing so I think it, it and that's the only thing I can come down to where it's like okay let's start let's stop mucking around this is serious the time was right storytelling was sort of starting to get credibility you're on your own you can just go bang go for it you can go in any direction you want um, take it serious and hustle and start hustling. And so your comment about how do you sell yourself? I think it, that is a challenge for a lot of people leaving the corporate world, selling a product or a service that they don't haven't made up and selling yourself. Um, and I think I probably did struggle with that, but I think in the end, I think what happened is you're sort of not selling yourself. You're selling the value and to me, it was a mindset is like, I know, I absolutely know I can go into an organization and teach their leaders storytelling. And it gives unbelievable value that, you know, they roll it, they're sitting there telling me, oh, we want to roll out this strategy and we want to roll out new values. And I've been in the corporate world and I've seen it all fail by the way we used to do it. And I know I can absolutely bring their strategy to life. I, I, I know the impact I can make. And therefore, it's not about me. It's the value I can bring. And, and then it was just sort of like you stand in your own conviction saying, I know I can add value to you. This is the price. This is when we can do it. Are you in or you're out? And in the end, 
you know, the mindset for me was it's a sliding doors moment for them, not for me. They either take on this value or they don't. And it's like, it's, it's their choice. It's got nothing to do with me. That is fantastic because really you're still, I think as women, uh, and, and I do generalize, but I think we're very, very good at advocating for others. And you've really flipped that entire equation around around what you're doing is delivering incredible value and service that others can can take up or, or, or not. not. Or not. Uh, and, and, I, and I know that I know the constraints of corporate that it, budget might be an issue. It's like, okay, that's fine. That's and to me, in the early days, I used to go, oh, well, what's your budget? And I come down, I go, well, you know, you've got budget. You're making a choice where to spend it. That's that's all they're doing. And so I'm, you know, it's you got budget or time, you know, time or the time's not right. But um, it's it's conviction selling. It's knowing the value you can bring and removing yourself from it. I asked you when we first met, um, would you consider another corporate role? And, and you gave me a couple of criteria that, that you might. So I thought, let's just throw that out there just in case anyone's looking to recruit. What's the criteria again? So, so my, aim, my aim for the last, I don't know, probably 10 years is to make myself unemployable. And um, let's test it. Let's test it if anyone wants to employ me. Okay, mm-hmm. so here's the criteria. You have to pay me $2 million a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't work school holidays. And even though my my youngest daughter, Jess, is in year 12, so school holidays next year will no longer apply, but I'm still taking 12 weeks holidays. Beautiful. The good thing is you won't have to take them in school holidays. Oh, I oh know. That's the great wants. thing. I, and, you know, and, and they're going to uni. Maybe I could take school holidays and uni holidays. Mm. I'm married oh. to a teacher. I'm stuck. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. so, so I'm taking 12 weeks holiday a year. Um, I'm only doing three days delivery at the most uh, a week. Um, if some, and you got to give me time off to write my books. And if another client is doing really cool stuff and wants me to work for them, like the Obama Foundation, I am. I'm doing that. I'm going working for someone else. Uh, and so, if you're all okay with that, let's talk. So, um, I, you just brought up Obama, and I have to ask you. Um, did, did I just did I just name drop that? You did. I'm sorry, name like, drop. No, it's so, so unlike me. It's so unlike me to name drop. So, tell me about meeting Barack Obama. And before you do it, I'm going to say I've not met him, but I was at a conference in the US, a wonderful South by Southwest, um, some time ago now. Um, Obama was president at the time. And he came and spoke and they ran a lottery for people who could get into the auditorium where he was speaking. And I think maybe, I don't know, maybe there were 2,000 of us that fit in. And I won a ticket and I jumped around screaming and, oh, it was incredible. I loved it, absolutely loved it. You could, I could feel his presence um, and everything about him from, you know, we were, we were probably 30 metres away. <laughs> You met him. Tell me. Well, take that, take that feeling and quadruple it when he comes up and breaks ranks to come and shake your hand. That's so. So let me. Yeah. And you know, look. And the reason there's a couple of reasons why it's the professional highlight of my career, and it's not necessarily meeting Barack Obama as shaky as in the physical meeting. What it is, and so the so what the backstory is and why it's so important because I just talked about you know 17 years when I started this 
like storytelling was laughed at. Like, it, you know, it wasn't credible. People would question what I was doing and tell me I was mad to be leaving the corporate world to do this. When you get an email from the Obama Foundation saying we're looking for someone to train our leaders on storytelling, could we please set up a time to call? My first reaction was, okay, this is someone trying to take the piss. (laughs) And, or did I read that properly? So I'm putting on my glasses and reading it again going, oh my God, don't get too excited because it still could be just not spam or something. But what I was excited about, this is in that time, you've got the Obama Foundation wanting storytelling training and and asking you to come and do it so um so then you know of course I set up the meeting straight away and had had the meeting with the the woman who said you know was going now we're just we're just in exploratory stage we're just speaking to a few people um but and then she kept saying but this sounds exactly what we need and and you know um when you know, they 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 later sent me a thing and saying yes we want to you to do this um how much do you charge and you know part of me the value is like part of me was going I would pay you <laughs> like, but I didn't yep. I didn't say that um and they are and they they are not for profit so I, I I did reduce my rates um but so I it was in Malaysia and they were running uh their Asia Pacific leadership program so they run these programs around the world they've done one in Africa they did one in Asia and it was in Malaysia and um, I have a bit of a rule that I do not travel when it's one of my children's birthdays. Mm. So that's my rule. This was in December. Um, and it w- I would have been away for my daughter's 19th birthday party. Or b- birthday, not birthday yeah. party. Um, she coincidentally studies uh, global politics and international, international studies at uni. So, and of course, uni wasn't on, it was in December. And so she came with me. So um, I, I actually asked if I could bring her and they, they said, everyone's asking if they can bring their partners um, and they've had to say no to everyone, but they, they allowed me to bring Alex and they said, just pretend she's your assistant, which she actually was a pretty good assistant in the training programs. Um, so she was there. So that was amazing for her. And it was the end of the, so we saw him speak. Uh, Michelle Obama was there as well. She, Michelle Obama is a brilliant speaker. She's brilliant. Um, he was there. His, uh, sister was there. His sister came and actually sat in on one of my storytelling training. She's, she's amazing in her own right. Um, and it was the end of the conference and we were told, like, we were always told we'd never meet him. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was the last day of the conference and we actually thought he'd left and we were sitting, you know, there was a, me and a couple of speakers sitting, talking to some of the participants, some of the leaders, and then they got pulled in for the official photograph. So they went into this room for the official, there was 200 of them. And then all of a sudden he walks by and goes into the room and he's surrounded, like he wasn't president then, he, he's surrounded by security guards and you're getting all flustered. (laughs) just like, um, anyway, they, they come over, they come over reminding that you're not allowed to approach him, that you're not allowed to take selfies, you're not allowed to ask for a photograph. And they're all big security guards with their head and you know they've got their hand on their gun. I was like, okay, okay. Um, anyway, we waited. We thought he's got to come out the same door. So there was this other woman who was a speaker. She said, let's draw him to us with our energy. She goes, I've been visualising this all week. We're going to draw him to with his energy. If someone had said to me, that I would normally go yeah right sure and I'm going yes let's do it anyway 
he walked out. He must have seen us all waving like idiots. Um, anyway, we drew him with our energy and he broke ranks and he came over and he shook our hand and he introduced, you know, we, he said, what do you do? Thank you. Thank you for the speakers. Without you, we couldn't do what we're doing, yada, yada, yada. He must know the rule of you can't ask for a photograph. So he said, let's get a photograph with the speakers. And so I've got a photo of me. Um, Alex, my daughter, is under his arm and then me. And so it's uh, that's sitting up on my office wall as I'm looking and talking to you. So that was pretty cool. It was a pretty cool moment. So that moment, that email, and, and um, you know, I think we've all got moments like that in our life about something. And I even remember when I first started the first series and people said yes when I asked if I could interview them. I mean, I danced around the kitchen uh, with excitement that, you know, they, they want to talk to me and, um, and it's incredible. So congratulations for, um, you know, I imagine just proving out without a doubt to yourself that what you had built is is incredibly valuable. I um, I just want to ask, why do you think you've been so successful? Because you have been incredibly successful. I think, ah. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, I reckon it comes back to that mindset thing. Uh, and I have, I, I, I back myself. So I, I seriously, you know, when like even leaving the corporate world to run this, you know, run a storytelling, it was like, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And that is really my, like, first of all, it's like, what's the worst thing that can happen? And so when I look at the big things, oh, the worst thing could happen, it doesn't work out. So, all right, so I go get another corporate job and I've spent a couple of years home with the girls. Yeah. Not not bad. In, in fact, not even the worst thing that could happen. Um, and maybe I don't even entertain the worst thing, maybe just saying that out loud, because the worst thing could be it didn't work out and I never got a corporate job again. But I like to me, I think, well, that's ridiculous. Of course, I'm going to get a job. Like, you know, I could do anything. Well, I couldn't do anything, but I could get a job. Um, so I always think what's the worst thing that can happen? And and maybe it's just my delusional nature, but it's never, never the absolute worst thing. Mm-hmm. Um and I just back myself. I just give it a give it a go. Give it a go. I I live. There's a couple of quotes. In fact, there's a huge amount of quotes I live by. I love a good quote, and um, one of them comes from um, Strictly Ballroom: "A life lived in fear is a life half lived." So if you're just not going to do something because, oh, what if it doesn't work out? And then the other one, the, the other quote I live by is, "It'll be all right in the end." And if it's not all right, it's not the end. It's mm. just like so. It's it's. I just. I don't even comprehend failure because it's just like, well, it's not, it, it, maybe that didn't work out, but it's not the end yet. So it hasn't worked out for a reason. So I just back myself, just give it a go. Do you have moments where you, or have you had moments where you've had self-doubt though and you've had to had to work through them? Like, have you got that voice in your head that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, so I think everyone has self-doubts and everyone has that little voice going, what the hell are you doing? Um, I think the difference between people is how long that little voice stays in your head. So how long you listen to it and how much, how much um, oxygen you give it. So I absolutely have self-doubts um, just, just even from little moments Every time I write a book, it is getting better, but I would be like feeling physically sick when I would hand the book over to, you know, some people that I admire and respect and waiting for their feedback and then, you know, waiting for days to get their feedback, like, you know, waiting for a boy to ring you. It was like sickening. So I had that. I still remember, um, and this probably went on for years, every time I'd 
publish, press publish on a blog post. Um, I, for those of you that use MailChimp, MailChimp's a software thing and they, they, their logo is a little male and a little male, a little chimp. Um, <laughs> it's probably a male chimp, who knows? Um, and you, you're really reluctant to press publish because you're putting your thoughts out there. And then as soon as you press publish, this little chimp character comes up sweating going, are you sure? Are you sure? And he's like, no. And I hit, no, I'm not sure. <laughs> like, so there, there's always those little moments. Um, probably, probably the um, biggest one was, uh, you know, when I went back and, you know, my husband said, I want to leave corporate world. And I said, give me 12 months. And I did have the success over that 12 months. Two things happened. He, he decided to leave. So <laughs> He literally put in his resignation and was leaving. And at the same time, a friend of mine who actually used to teach my children and we became friends, I asked her to be my assistant. She was sort of, you know, she'd made a few jokes about if you ever want an assistant and then you go, well, I do. And she left her teaching career to come and work for me. And I still remember the time I went to the accountant and I, you know, was telling him all this was happening and he might have made some flippant comment like, wow, you know, you've got, a, you've got a couple of people relying on you now, haven't you? And it was like that thought of I now need to make this work. Like it's just not for me. It's I am the only income earner of the family. Um, I've got a friend that's left her career to come and work for me. And I, I remember feeling really sick, like, like, sick and I, I was actually mentoring this this guy and um, we had a mentoring session so I sat down for the mentoring session feeling sick and all I did was go it, it ended up being reverse mentoring because I'm just telling him what I'm feeling and I remember he said he goes oh Raul please don't tell me you have self-doubts because if you have self-doubts we're all stuffed and I was like I think what he was saying to me is I look at someone like you and don't think you have self-doubts, but that's just crap. Everyone does everyone. And if anyone says they don't, they're just lying. They're lying. If people say they don't have self-doubts, it's just, it's how long you stay in them will determine, you know, whether those self-doubts drive you or, or, or not. It's been interesting through this series, there's been a bit of discussion around the difference between confidence and courage and you know the fact that you might not feel confident but just you find find the courage to take that next step whatever that next step is um and yeah also remove that myth that all these successful people that you look around at um that they don't experience the same feelings that you experience yeah absolutely and, and to me i think confidence and courage is like a cyclical thing and what comes first the chicken or the egg I reckon, and I don't know, I was about to say, I reckon confidence comes first because to me, confidence is almost like the mindset. I feel I can do it and courage is then the action. But there's a lot of times you go, I don't feel I can do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. And, then, and maybe that's real courage. That's like real courage. But it's one of those things, once you do it, it then improves your confidence because you can think I could do this. It's it's like people, I'm a runner and people go, oh, I just can't get motivated to run. It was like, don't wait for motivation to take action. Take action and you'll get motivated. And to me, it's the same as confidence and courage. Just don't wait. Don't wait for confidence to take action. Take action and that will build confidence. Can I ask you about leadership? And I guess by way of moving into that, I think often people um, see other models of leadership and think that's how they need to be. I'm just going to fix the lighting here because I'm 
You've got like a halo shiny. I have, yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Spotlight. Whether I can fix it. So anyway, <laughs> let's keep talking on the way through. So, um, you know, people people thinking they need to be what a leader looks like, you know, as opposed to being themselves. You spend a lot of time with people teaching storytelling and all those sorts of things. Um, what's your perspective on that? Look, I think, you know, the old uh, be yourself, everyone else is taken. Uh, Oscar Wilde, I think, or Orson Welles. I've got it. Oscar Wilde. I always get them confused. They have the same letters too, which is very confused. Oscar Wilde, be yourself, everyone else is taken. I think the biggest mistake you can make is try to be someone or be a leader that fits the mould of um, what other people are expecting. And, you know, and of course you go into a company and there might be a certain expectation of, behavior or leadership and and yeah you might have to sort of uh change slightly because of that but if you're fundamentally changing who you are you're in the wrong organization you're like like and it's not sustainable and why would you do it I mean why, why would you pretend to be someone else why wouldn't you just find a place where you can be yourself because when you be yourself um you know you you you've been true and you're probably reaching your full potential and it's um, there's a whole lot of benefits for that but yeah the work I do the work I do around storytelling and leadership is to me sharing stories is has got a very practical approach you're sharing stories to communicate your message better whether it be your strategy or your change or your values to communicate in a way people understand and remember that's the very very practical aspect of storytelling and even doing storytelling just for that is worth it but the added benefits of storytelling and so when you're sharing personal stories to communicate your business message people get to know you more as a leader and they get to know the real you and they get to know what you value and they get to know why you do the things you do. And that's like the added benefit. And, and I think that's a really good way to, for people, for leaders to exercise authentic leadership, but yeah, just, just be true to yourself. It's like, I didn't even know, I don't even know why you'd bother pretending to be someone else. It's exhausting. So the, um, the other question I'm, I'm asking people is around leadership. So for people who are keen to improve their leadership, what are, what are three things you think someone should ask themselves? I, um, I, one, of the, one of the benefits of getting old, it's not a lot, but I think you do become a bit more mellow and wise and listen. I remember... Um, I worked with a client in, in um, Vietnam and he was the CEO and he shared, I actually interviewed him for my podcast here, but he shared a, a leadership journey that he went on, I mean, like a massive transformation in his leadership as he got older. And one of the things he said to me, he goes, whenever something doesn't go right or there's a mishap or there's something that's happening, he goes, I always ask myself, what did I do that contributed to this? And I think as a leader, like I'm not saying it's it's always your fault, but there'll be elements like, um, you know, if you leaders will go, something's gone wrong and they don't know about it. They go, well, I wasn't told about that. And I'd be going, okay, so what have you done that makes it your staff, your people uncomfortable to tell you that? So it's, I think there's always elements, even it could be miscommunication. Did I not communicate that properly? Did I not communicate the expectations properly? So I think it's always asking yourself, what have I done to contribute to this? And, and it could just be something really minor. But I think also when you come from that approach, it's the conversations you're going to have 
aren't going to be defensive because it's it's um, it's that. I think something I've learnt is it's not a question, but it's listen to learn, not to protect. So I think as we um, we often listen to someone's counter argument to just to protect our own, but as a leader, you should be listening to get as much information as possible to make the best decision. And if you're not listening to learn you're not making that decision. And ultimately as a leader, that's, that's what you're getting paid. That's what you're getting paid the big bucks for is to make the right decisions. And so you're not doing that without listening. So I think, I think that, and and you just don't always have to be right. You don't always have to be right. I I remember um, about five or six years ago, I I had the great, uh, I went to Harvard for, to do an executive education. So I drop it. I drop names like Obama and Harvard left, right and center. And, um, one of the things you had to do was ask three people close to you if they could change one thing about you, what would it be? So uh, we were going out for dinner with um, Steve and the girls the night before I left. So I thought I'd stupidly pose that question to the family. And my Alex, who Alex would have been about 16 at the time, and she goes, in a nanosecond, she goes, admit when you're wrong. Mm. And I, I was seriously mortified. And I just said, I don't think I have a problem at all admitting when I'm wrong. And she goes, I rest my case. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> uh, my Jess, who was about 11, said, um, the thing I would change about you is sometimes when I say, is it going to be hot or cold, you say it's going to be hot and it's a bit cold. It was like, okay, okay Jess, there's an app for that. And then my husband wisely said, I wouldn't change a thing very well. I was going to ask. I'm glad you got there. Very wise man. He was he, going he, to of course, ask. That was, a, that was a no win for him, that question. Getting insight into why you're happily married. So no, it's good <laughs> exactly. for you to share that. So, um, Gabrielle, the last question I ask of everybody is, from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership look like and do you think it needs to change? Um, so I... I I don't think there's a difference between brave feminine leadership and brave leadership. I think leadership is having um, the conviction in what you can do and your decisions and, and like, you know, leading, you know, making decisions right for yourself, but also right for your team and right for your family. So I don't think that needs to change. I, I think what needs to change is everyone else's bias towards feminine leadership, you know, and this concept of, um, you know, oh, she's really bossy, and like, and it's just this perceived thing where a female can behave in the same way as a male, and it's perceived differently. Um, so I, I don't think that that needs. I don't think women need to change around brave feminine leadership. I think um, everyone else needs to accept that it's leadership and it's brave, and just because it's coming from a woman, it shouldn't be perceived differently. I can't finish our conversation with asking, has everyone got a good book in them? That is a good question. I I see books in a lot of people. So one of the things I think I'm good at is speaking to someone and seeing what they're passionate about and seeing what their expertise are and going, there's a book in that. Um, and it might, they might never write a book, but they could. And so, yeah, I think ultimately everyone has a book inside them because everyone's experiences are different. Their ideas are different, their concepts. So yeah, they've, everyone's got a book inside them if, if they had the desire to write it. 
Fantastic having the chance to um, talk to you and thank you for being so generous with your time and joining the conversation. Um, very much appreciated. Thanks, Melissa. Good to be here. Hello there. If you're enjoying the podcast and would love to accelerate your own growth and leadership, then head to bravefeminineleadership.com forward slash brave tips for your gift from me, where I've captured all of the amazing tips and themes that came out of these conversations. I hope they help you feel your brave rising.